Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. And today I'm joined by Jeff Hook, who is the founder and CEO of Communitas Technologies, a new church software platform built for what happens both in the physical and digital worlds. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. I've really appreciated some of your past episodes. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad to have you on the show. I know that I've heard of you before from our mutual friend, Chris Armas, who started Code for the Kingdom. We recently just had a hackathon that we wrapped up, a virtual one in Seattle that was a lot of fun. And I've been wanting to be able to talk to you just to hear about your journey since you're a veteran of this kind of faith and technology world applied to churches. So maybe to get started, could you go ahead and start sharing the backstory behind how you ended up arriving at what you've now founded, this Communitas Technologies company? Yeah, it actually, Chris, starts at a very young age. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest as a preacher's son. And one of the things that always bothered me was coming to church and seeing people get caught up in the spirit and Mm. then going back to the dysfunction of their lives during the week. And that was just always grating on me as a kid. And so I actually got into technology through college and became a programmer and then a consultant with some management consulting firms and then got into software with Oracle and i2 Technologies, but then was approached by my church, Fellowship Church, about some software that they had written. And that became the creation of Fellowship Technologies or Fellowship One. Mm -hmm. I originally actually turned them down and said, no, I do not want to sell software to churches I like to say I've been running from the pulpit all my life, my father being a pastor and my grandfather being a pastor. (laughs) But that afternoon, after turning them down, I was actually having lunch with Terry Storch and Lawrence Swicegood at lunch, and that's when they approached me. And Terry, of course, is big into Uversion and is responsible for Uversion, and Lawrence Swicegood now works at the Gateway Church. But I told them no, and then I met with some uh, friends that afternoon and they were pitching an investment opportunity to me and i actually said you know this isn't something i want to put my money into matter of fact it wasn't even as good as my lunch and the story goes i said i don't know why i'm telling you this but i'm going to tell you about my lunch and frankly at that point in time my brain clicked off and the holy spirit just downloaded information into my head as packets of information really an interesting thing i'd never experienced that before Mm-hmm. And uh, this, after probably about a minute, this woman looks at me and she says, are you stupid? And I said, I might be, because that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So I called Terry back up, went by his office that afternoon and whiteboarded what the Lord had downloaded to me. And he, as I recall, he said, that's brilliant. That's not what our software does. Mm. <laughs> so, so I said, but I think I'm supposed to throw my name in the hat to build a company around your software. And that created Fellowship One. I see. Unfortunately, we never got to what we were going to call fellowship community, which was what the Lord had downloaded to me. And this was back in 03. And so this was before Facebook, really before social Mm. networking had taken off. But Fellowship One became successful and we sold that to Active Network right before they went public. And You know, I've always been wanting to get back to that platform that the Lord had downloaded to me was really supporting the natural community of church and learning and helping people live what I like to say more functional Christian lives. We all live lives of function and dysfunction. We need to squeeze that dysfunction out. 
My favorite Bible verse is John 10, 10. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And I believe if we squeeze the dysfunction or the sin out of people's lives, they'll live a more full life. But anyway, going back to how I got to Communitas, after getting back into software for a while, I was actually approached by Parish Soft, which at the time had half the Catholic market, mm. to do some consulting for them. And I learned a lot about the Catholic market. I learned a lot about a multi-church organization having dioceses and archdioceses and about how denominations really needed to work. And then I became the COO of Parisoft as well. Well, soon after that, the board got an offer to sell to ministry brands. And so when my non-compete was up, I took all of this thing that the Lord had built through my career and said, you know, I need to get back to that vision that the Lord had given me that afternoon uh, that I made the switch to decide to uh, to uh, start Fellowship One. So, you know, we, we are about uh, building software for churches that go beyond Sunday, mm-hmm. that help not just the church, because, yes, the church staff, the church volunteers. You know, if you really look at the I'll say the evolution of church management systems, it started out as a back office solution. Then it became more of a Sunday solution to help with facilitating children's check-in, the online giving. Online giving was not really for the convenience of online. It actually came out of the fact that these mega churches did not want to take that long to pass the plate during the service. Think about if you have 4,000 people, how long it takes to pass the plate. So there has to be another option, right? So then it's evolved into more of a ministry tool. But what we really need to do is not leave that behind, but continue on and lean into making the church software a congregational tool as well, a community tool, an outreach tool. And so that's what we're doing is building a platform that takes all of this experience and said, let's build and lean into the future of what church software needs to be. Mm -hmm. You know, as a technology entrepreneur myself, we have a product called Spiffio for translation and accessibility that we wanted to help serve churches with to reflect the kingdom that includes people from every language. And I found that it's so hard, no matter how well-intentioned we are, to help with the church digital transformation. I think the, the pandemic really changed a lot of that, of course, but what were your learnings along the way as an entrepreneur, as a technologist, as a Christian, about what made technology adoption in churches effective and you know, what worked about that and what didn't work? Yeah, that's a very good question. So online giving. I remember going to a very big publishing house and talking about our online giving solution and being told, no, there's a lot of value, worship value in passing that plate. Right. Oh, hmm. yes. This was, but remember, this was '05, probably. I see. So here we are, 16 years later, and now many of those same people are going. You have to get online giving, <laughs> online giving, right? And so, yeah. it's common for innovation to be rejected by those who do not have anything to gain from it. Maybe they have the gain from the old system, right? So there's going to be some pushback, although I'm hearing more and more, but there will be some pushback going, no, it's still all about Sunday. It's still all about Sunday. Well, it's become so much about Sunday that it's become a show, Mm -hmm. not a worship experience in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. right? And 
It needs to be about seven days a week. It needs to be, you talked about the term digital transformation. The key to digital transformation is not the word digital. It's transformation and it's the ability to make the customer, in this case, the congregant, the center of the business, not the supply chain, right? Or not the, in this case, the production. It goes back to the congregant being the center of the business, if you will. And what is the business of church? It's community, it's transformation or discipleship, it's outreach, it is the resource side and it is corporate worship. I'm not denying that, but it's so much more. And even the metrics within the church industry has historically focused on two things, attendance and giving, hmm. right? Those are lag measures. Those are like me focusing on the profit and loss statement of a business. Yeah. Profit and loss statements are reported on a monthly and then quarterly basis and then an annual basis. But what happened to my revenue and my EBITDA or my profit is from the past. I need, as the four disciplines of execution talk about, to be able to push on a lead metric what can I push on that then affects the lag metric, right? And so discipleship is, I believe, one of those things. How many people are engaged in discipleship? And discipleship to us is not the historical pray, read the Bible. You know, it is actually more about what does that person need in their life? Do they need some marriage uh, assistance? Do they need parenting? Do they need some spiritual assistance? Where are they in their spiritual maturity? One of the things the Reveal study showed us that the church was lacking in the discipleship of very mature Christians because they were so seeker friendly, hmm. right? But in today's world, if I think about the physical front door of the church, I'm assuming they are Christ curious. Because when they walk through the door, I'm talking about Christ, Christ, Christ. In the digital world, I don't know where they are in their spiritual journey necessarily. I need to learn that. But they may, in fact, be an atheist. But I can, through the wisdom of the Bible, help them live a better life. Help them learn about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, I can help them learn about marriage as Christ is the bride of the church. I can help them about parenting, right? They may, in fact, not be Christ curious. They may, in fact, not be God curious. Somebody who's God curious in my mind is somebody who maybe has some faith, but they're outside of Christianity. Hmm. They know that there's something, an intelligence, a spirit behind this thing, but they haven't heard the story of Christ or they've rejected the story of Christ because they've been burned in the church, uh -huh. right? So what I'm getting at is with the digital transformation and focusing on the consumer or the customer or the congregant, we can get away from the one-size-fits-all gospel. And we can say, what does this person need? To the point of understanding where they are in their spiritual journey, whether they're single or married, maybe they're in a blended family. Those are all very unique situations that digitally 
I can minister to them pointedly and get them in contact with people who have been there before, done that and conquered it, that I can't necessarily do in a corporate worship environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that yeah. uh, what you mentioned about disciples, kind of more mature believers lacking in discipleship in the church, to honestly, that sounds more like that's their opportunity to bear fruit. It's not that they need more programs to serve them at that point. If they're mature, they're reproducing. It's their opportunity to actually invest in the lives of people who are struggling and in need and have life experience that might align with their own. Uh, it kind of connects the dots between the needs that are happening and those who are mature and you know ready to give, really ready to serve. That seems to be a connecting point there in what you just described. Like a, a mature yeah, congregant yes. doesn't, you know, it's not as much that they need to be served a lot of things. They need chances to be using their most valuable gifts aligned with their calling and purpose from God and to take risks for that. You know, that's what it seems like to me. And this presents an opportunity to connect those needs with those who have those gifts. Yes. And right. You're not wrong. However, I will disagree that they continue to need to be fed hmm. because the word is much like food. It needs to be continually fed. And in fact, as you get deeper and deeper, especially in the scientific age, you can learn a whole lot more about the complexities, let's say, of the human body and how God made that, right? I like to say, what is the study of God's creation called? Science, right? We have science in our lives, in our world, because we're learning about God's creation. And if we're going to love the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind, mm -hmm. then we can get to know more about the Father by examining and understanding his creation more, right? So when it comes to psychology and consciousness, why don't we lean into learning more about how we're built as people and how the systems of families affect how we're built? Because life is very complex and it's very difficult at times, right? So why don't we lean into that and learn about that so that we can apply the gospel to that? Talk about mature Christians. There are many pastors who have doubts, who fall away, who even commit suicide. They're in such despair, right? So maturity by itself is not just an opportunity to give and teach, but also they need to continue to be fed, but more mature food, let's say. You get it? As Paul said, I, yeah, when I was a baby, I ate baby food, but and that's I think a, what that's, I think that's what I'm hitting on for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think what I'm hitting on is actually that it's the conventional model of church. I don't think the church as an institution or organization can be an expert at science, at psychology, at every single thing. I think the church as people, as the people of God, as filled with the Holy Spirit, have been given expertise in all these realms in places where God sent them. And the church as a organization becomes a platform for the psychologist in your congregation, for the doctor in your congregation, for the computer scientist or entrepreneur to share the integration of the gospel in their work. And that's really how the, the saints are built up. Yeah. Yeah. Or not even in your congregation. They could be in an organization, let's say the denomination, right? So the church becomes a curator of knowledge, mm -hmm. right? And so, and then think about Sunday school class being taught by parents, right? These kids are used to learning from a screen. Maybe the parents, the Sunday school teachers 
should be the connectors while the kids are watching some of the best production about the gospel at their age appropriateness, right? They're video freaks. I don't mean that in a bad way. They, they, they're video consumers. Why not do one really well, either a megachurch or a denomination or a producer like Orange, right? Why not do one really well and then let the best teach our children for that age appropriate? And then the Sunday school teachers or the parents then get to engage with them and talk to them about it. Does that make sense? I'm familiar with the idea of the flipped classroom uh, right. where that's, you know you have a great quality content that everyone else is able to share at, at scale, but the hands-on tutoring, you know, question answering parts are handled by people in the classroom with the student. And I think that that kind of model can potentially scale more so. But I want to go back to one of the kind of ethical questions that are brought up probably by knowing so much about people. A lot of people are concerned about big tech and data and privacy today. And, you know, maybe an atheist coming in to watch your live stream or whatever doesn't really want you to know all these things about his personal life or something like that. How do you balance those interests between, you know, a, a church's desire to meet people where they're at and a person's desire to have their anonymity, privacy, and to be able to choose how they engage and to what degree they want to engage? Yes. Yeah, so let's unpack that in a couple of ways, right? Social media platforms, in my mind, although I use them, they're not for social media. Mm. They are advertising platforms, right? Mm -hmm. The old network TVs, yes, it's entertainment, but it's really an advertising platform, right? So I can see the Tide commercial or whatever P&G wants to sell me or the car commercial. They're advertising platforms that happen to allure you in mm -hmm. with some entertainment. Social media is the next generation of that. But that's very different than collecting information from you to help you live a better life. There's a marked difference there. Do you agree? I'm not uh, trying to say I, I, I think the purpose to... makes a big difference, right? Yeah, and right. the advertising yeah. business is aligned in a certain kind of incentive to keep you addicted, which right. is different. Now let's talk about, we don't know each, each other very well, right? We've only met within the last couple months. We've never met personally. We've known each other through Chris Armez. But if we continue our relationship in a year, will I know more about you? Absolutely. So the data collection, so the data strategy, churches are known for not having a data strategy, right? Matter mm -hmm. of fact, there is the, the belief that, well, my data strategy is going to be based upon the data that I can collect. I see. What's it. easy to collect. No, it's let's talk about the data that's useful, right? Mm -hmm. And then let's go figure out how to collect it over time. Historically, the data collection tool, the data collection form was the contact card in church. And it was a one and done, non-compulsory. It's just, please fill this out and then we'll get you in the database. And did the congregant get a lot of value by being in that database? Probably not. Probably not, <laughs> Probably not right? So the point being, as the person gets more and more engaged with a church and that trust is built up over time, they are going to naturally expose more information to the church. Now, if you think about it, if I can give value because of that information, then the trust builds, 
So the congregants willing to give more. And if you think about, if I put a prayer request in, I'm giving the church a lot of information about what's bothering me right now. Mm-hmm. And is that captured? Is that mind not to use that against the person, so to speak, but to then aggregate that across the congregation to say, what are people praying for? What are they worried about? Do we have resources to help them with that? Because not everything needs a supernatural solution. Does that make sense? Not every prayer request needs a supernatural solution. Yeah, it does make sense. And so when you surface what people need, you could argue it is supernatural because it's the spirit working in people and prompting them. And then after that, providing through the community itself, the very means of meeting that need. And this brings up, I think for me, an interesting question because it's at the intersection of two things. You're trying to use technology and best practices and and wisdom in order to love people, to take care of people, and to kind of lead them in their walk with Christ or to come alongside them. What's the intersection of that with the Spirit's work? Well, I think the Holy Spirit talks to us differently because we listen to the Holy Spirit differently. We need to unpack that for people. I believe we even need to unpack what love is. We need to help get people to start getting deeper and deeper instead of just being Christians in label Mm. or superficial Christians. You know, I brought a lot of pastors, ran a lot of Christians. I talk about it all the time. What does spiritual maturity look like? It's hard not to get 11 answers from 10 people. Mm. So why don't we have that nailed 2,000 years later, what spiritual maturity looks like? What kind of an answer do you get? I think of like Christ-likeness or something, but that's obviously almost like an equivalence. Okay, so what's it like to be like Christ? Is it behavior? I really like the definition of being Christ-like is letting the Father have his way with you like Christ let the Father have his way with him. Hmm. That may be different for you than me, Uh right? Yielding your ego to the Father is what Christ did. Gethsemane, take this cup. How you, Chris, or how Jeff yields to the Father is going to be based upon what the Father needs you to do. That's a much deeper level than being Christ-like through behavior. I see what you're saying. So how do you see this need being met uniquely in our times with tech? Because I'm assuming that pastors in the past, when they hear this, they're like, yeah, I need to preach about it. I need to teach about it. Do you think that's still the same response now with the tools that we have? Is Communitas trying something different than just encouraging that kind of content and preaching? Okay, so we go back to 168 hours instead of one hour, right? And if you really think about it, church attendance is down below two now. I've seen 1.8 times per month. I remember when I was a kid, church attendance for a lot of people was eight times, not four times a month, eight to 12 times a month, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Mm. And now we're down below two. Another stat is the average person stays at a church for three years. That's not a very long time. Mm -hmm. Let's say twice a month. For three years is 72. If you think about it, that's not very often 
that I have to impact somebody. But if I give them an online capability, then I can get to them whenever they want to. Yep. I like to say, if everybody moved to Western Kansas, where would you have to move a church? Where would you have to build a church in Western Kansas? Everybody's on the web. People are spending four, five hours a day. Uh-huh. They're doing their banking, they're doing their shopping. Very few of them are doing church. When churches think of online church, they're thinking of streaming their service. Yeah. Of an online campus that provides everything that's that person needs, right? Prayer circles, right? Discipleship, the ability to outreach. How can I send a link to a friend who is a non-believer that is not just oozing of church, but instead oozing of life help? We have to be flexible enough and understand how people view the church. Some people embrace it, love the church. Some people feel burned by the church. There are so many different paths that we have to be cognizant of when we do outreach. If we're going to be more successful, I think we have to you know, understand where they are in their path and do what we call personalized discipleship, personalized ministry. It's getting away from the one size fits all. Uh-huh. And so let's go back to data collection. If a small group does a love language assessment, you're familiar with love language, right? Yep. If somebody does a love language assess- assessment, shouldn't that be in the database then? If somebody does an Enneagram, shouldn't that be put in the database? Again, these are things that happen along a church path that the typical church management system doesn't track. I see. Why would I want to track love language? Well, if I have a volunteer and their love language is gifts and I want to give them a thank you, shouldn't I give them a gift? If it's words of affirmation, wouldn't I give them words of affirmation? Right. These are very valuable pieces of knowledge to help fulfill that person's life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that some of those data points, you're right that churches are already generating them, but they're not really made effective for the majority of people. Maybe the people in a small group know, but everybody else doesn't know. That kind of collection makes sense, yeah. And if we can get away from a program-based curriculum and get into more of what we call a dynamic journey-based curriculum, what's really going on in your life? What do you need help for? That's changing all the time. If I lose a parent, that wasn't in anybody's curriculum that at this point in time, you're going to lose a parent. You need to be part. You need to understand how to grieve. You need to be part of a group if you'd like to be for somebody to help you grieve. Right. The word says that we're supposed to mourn with the mourners. Right. So there's ways technology can help people live a better life, I'll say. Those are the things that we think about as we build communitas is it's not just about Sunday morning. Can we use this to help build community? Can we use this to foster discipleship? Can we use this to facilitate outreach? Some of our competitors talk about knowing your people. Know your people better. Implement this software. Uh Well, if I implemented a certain software, would I know who the first responders are in my 
congregation so that I can help them in a time of a pandemic. How many families are dealing with depression and anxiety so that I can maybe have a support group or create or curate some content around it? How many of our families are blended families? Because blended families have unique problems that biological mom and dad families don't, right? So how many of couples in our congregation are dealing with infertility? These are all ministry moments that are gonna get passed by many times if that data is not understood and collected, not to be used against people, not to judge them, but to help them. Does that make even, sense? Even as I even as I hear it, I do feel some trepidation to hold on to that data. It feels like if we have electronic health records that are so highly regulated, these really spiritual, intimate details about people's lives would need to be very well protected, you know, to be able to be shared even within church volunteer community, maybe depending on the level of data. Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't share that. I think yeah. so. One of the things I did uh, while I was waiting out my non-compete was I helped a friend in the supply chain world create a company that was in the medical industry. So it was something that the Gardner Group calls patient outcome-driven supply chain, okay. right? So if some artificial knee, ABC, you know, how, how's the outcome, right? And yeah. uh, the ACA got us into not thinking about procedures, but thinking about outcomes. Is this person getting better? And so we got to know about HIPAA. And we want to protect people's spiritual records the same way that HIPAA protects your medical records. And AWS uh, makes it very affordable and easy to put HIPAA compliance around some data, right? So you're, you're absolutely right that that should not be available. Matter of fact, if you think about security, Security is around maybe the organization and what security level do you have? The congregant needs to have more of intimacy levels. Here are the group of people and here's my intimacy level with them. If you think about uh, you know, a lot of social media networks, it's, yeah, are, are they a friend or not? Or are they family maybe, but there's no intimacy level. I have some yeah. acquaintances on Facebook and I have some deep friends on Facebook, right? There's no level of intimacy. Well, within Communitas, we have designed the intimacy level so that, you know, I may not even want to share it with the church staff. I yeah. may want to only share this with my small group. I may not want to share it with anyone, mm-hmm. right? But I do want to collect it. I do want the AI engines to know about it. Right. Think about the the physical world. I'm a white guy. Right. So I'm majority. If I'm being ministered to, let's say, by you, you see me. Right. And in the physical world. But in the digital world. You don't see me. You don't know that. Right. So if we're going to get into personalized ministry and we're going to present content to you or present stories to you or ask you for money. And a picture says a thousand words. If I'm an African-American woman, should I be presented with the same content or the same picture as an old white guy? No, 
you want that worshiper to identify with that content as much as possible. So that data becomes very important in the digital world that in order to do the best job of ministry. So you need more information that your eyes or ears may or may not pick up in the physical world. I would assume so. Right. But right. But but you're going to forget and you can't aggregate. You don't have the brain to go, hey, I met this many of these kind of people and this many of these kind of people. And so I have this kind of mix mm-hmm. within my congregation. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, if I had this kind of mix within my core group versus, you know, if you think of the five C's that uh, um, Rick Warren talked about, the crowd, the, uh, the community, the crowd, the congregation, uh, the core, and the committed. Mm-hmm. I should treat the committed differently than I treat the community. But if I'm looking at my community and I have a certain demographic mix, wouldn't I want in my committed and core the same demographic mix so that my congregation and community could start identifying with somebody who's on stage? But I wouldn't, if I don't have that data, it's just anecdotal. You don't know. Yeah. So then take that into the digital world. Who is starting to watch my services? Now, again, I won't know that information in the beginning, but as they have this journey with us, as we help facilitate their spiritual journey, they will give us more and more information. Yeah. If if they choose to. If they choose to, yeah. I've been fascinated to see the trends in uh, like YouTube and these other platforms. Basically, you can have creators who are doing videos with a certain message that they have and they can have like millions and millions of subscribers. I just watched a video yesterday from like, I think yes theory. They're just going out traveling to these unique sites around the world where buildings, these huge construction projects were not finished and going on an adventure. But kind of their big thing is you want to do take, take risks, like basically take risks and follow your dreams. That's like the message of the, of the channel, I would say. And I just noticed that they can build a huge following around the whole world around that message and around the kind of the story, the journeys that they're taking people along with them. And they're not, you know, it's not a church, it's not an institution. It's it's a it's a brand, I guess. It's a person. It's a relationship with this thing that they represent. And I kind of see that with the church model, it's so it's so strange. It's kind of strange with COVID because you're trying to bring what was traditionally a community online. So it's not just a person. It's not just a, a message or a theme or like a genre of like doing these things together over time. The way these YouTube channels are, that can grow really big. It's trying to bring a whole community and make it available online to you. And it's just such a different a different problem, I think, than what exists today uh, in terms of the way that our, our platforms are designed broadly, not only for the church. Anyway, that was just a thought that right. what you said kind of triggered me. Right. And if, you, uh, if you think about going back to something you said earlier that people need to understand is that whole flip classroom for small groups, for any kind of discipleship, let me consume the information on my schedule yeah. and then let's schedule time to, to talk about it. Let's schedule time to facilitate the mentorship, right? Let's schedule time for the discussion, but let's not utilize that common time to consume. That doesn't make sense. Does it? Does yeah. it? Not in a digital no, not world. Really. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Could we wrap up our conversation by talking about outcomes versus outputs? Because you talked about patient outcomes. And I know you talk about like measuring the right metrics, the lead and lag indicators. What does that look like for the church? What does it look like in light of faith? Like, is it just the same as in the business world? Is it any different? What would you say the future of church looks like and how would you measure that success? You know, I, I learned a lot from the books of Reggie McNeil, uh, just talking about outcomes. And if you really consider the church ought to help transform people's lives, right? So are they living a more functional Christian life? How do you measure that? Well, you, you can measure some of it through assessments, but you can also measure some of it in the divorce rate, right? If there are less people in the church getting a divorce, do you think that'll affect the divorce rate in the entire community? Absolutely, right? Because one, you're stopping some divorces within the church, but they influence other people outside the church. Well, if so-and-so can work through that, then I can work through that, right? If so-and-so forgave their spouse for that, then I'll work harder versus being inundated with, oh, you can't forgive. You got to move on. And if people's lives are better, then families and the dysfunction inside of families should be better. That should make better churches, better communities, a better world. I think you have to look at what's important to that church and what is on mission for them and measure those things, whether they're qualitative or quantitative. They're both measures can be useful, right? And so measuring the divorce rate is key. We're not saying don't measure attendance, but don't focus on it because of the lag metric of it. I really like one of the things that just as an example, I forget the exact book, but talk about how many people within the congregation, let's say, have a, a, an estate plan. Well, why is that important? Well, because if somebody dies without an estate plan, do you realize how many family feuds start over that? People get greedy. Well, mom and dad are gone. Now people get greedy and there's infighting within families, which creates more dysfunction, mm. right? So why not understand that and then encourage people, hey, everybody does die. Why not plan for it so that your assets are going to where you want them to go and make that very clear to stop the infighting from families of the people who are left? Right. I, I never thought that that was a measurement. Why would the church be concerned about that? Because it's trying to minimize the dysfunction within people's lives. Because then if we have less dysfunction, we can focus more on God. If we have less dysfunction in our lives, we are at a higher spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? Christ said, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. Focus on today, uh -huh. right? Well, it's hard to focus on today if I'm focused on yesterday or worrying about tomorrow. So it just helps us live out the gospel. Yeah, I think that uh, you've brought a lot of food for thought and a lot of connections with how technology might be able to help with that today. What do you see being the future of church? Like if you were to walk into a physical church or join a digital one, maybe, you know, as the pandemic wraps up or anything like that, if you were to describe a story of what it would be like, what would you say? I think for the first time with technology, the 
small C church can become the big C church and we can in, interconnect people mm-hmm. and their lives. We can have people help each other mm-hmm. that they don't even know, right? You're becoming a friend we haven't met, right? I have a handful of friends that I've not met who are really good friends now, mm-hmm. but we Zoom once mm-hmm. a month, yep. right? And it's like, I can't wait to meet you someday, mm-hmm. right? So community can be built using technology, right? Connections can be built. Prayer can be done. The future of church is not going to look like the past of church mm-hmm. where it was pretty defined. Mm-hmm. It's going to t- manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Much like if you think about it, even 20 years ago or 30 years ago, we were all pretty much like Wally and Beaver Cleaver, right? Two kids, a dog, a cat, mom and dad, biological. The databases of churches didn't need to reflect the diversity. Mm. Now we are such a diverse culture. And so how can we get the truth in the data so that we can better understand what truth is and how many families have it where they are blended families or grandmother raising the kids or just living together. You know, a lot of our competitors don't allow you to do anything but biological mom and dad because (laughs) that's straight down the center of the the road, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of no, Let's understand what people are really living through so that we can better minister to them. Maybe not out in public, if that's not appropriate, but we can better understand the diversity within our congregation so that we are not assuming that everybody is the way they were Uh because it's not true. And so if we want to become relevant, that's one of the things the church always has to be, is relevant. Then we have to get with the times and understand that people are living a lot of different lives. And the beauty of being online is people are willing to drop that mask that they wear on Sunday mornings. Hi, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Everything's great, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna have to deal with truth in order to become a better, stronger church. Mm -hmm. And we can do that by connecting more, by building community, by truly fostering discipleship, but dealing with some hard issues that we've ignored in the past because it's only been for the hour. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what excites me is helping somebody with their problem not with what I think the problem is or a general problem. Mm -hmm. I hope that that's clear. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for being being on the show. And if people would like to reach you, would you like them to reach out to you through your email, perhaps at Communitas? Yeah, jhook at Communitas Tech, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-A-S-T-E-C-H.com. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Jeff. And thank thank you, you, everyone, for joining us on the Theotech Podcast. 
If you'd like to become a patron and support this conversations about the intersection of technology, entrepreneurship, and the gospel, you can do so at patreon.com slash theotech. And with that, until next time.